Makeup can be as transformative as the right outfit can be. And when it is applied by an artist, it can help create or define a character on film. When a project has a stylized aesthetic, when it takes place in history or is about a real person from the past, the differences between working with a small studio or a large branded machine, there are all kinds of different challenges for professional makeup artists to navigate. In the second half of our conversation with Hollywood makeup artist Aaron Ionian, we're going to be talking about all of this, as well as the history of makeup artists, which might be a little shorter than you would expect, as before the 1970s, models mostly did their own makeup, with a few notable exceptions. We're also going to be talking about artistry in makeup, the challenges that come with working on still photo shoots, and some of the direct connections that exist between the history of drag performance and the trends in makeup we see on social media today. This is a pretty incredible conversation. Erin is one of those fabulous people who generously teaches. She loves what she does, and she takes that feeling to work with her every day. It's part of what makes her so good at her work. And though the world has changed a lot in a very few years, as Erin Ionian shows us, history is filled with solutions and inspiration. So for somebody today who wanted to start a career, I mean, obviously the world is different now, but it was like even 20 minutes ago, right? It's no, constantly- Everything moves and changes so fast now. I wouldn't even know what- Well, do you think a physical portfolio, is that something that- Nobody is has like relevant? I don't think I mean, it's Instagram. have it because I like to have like a tangible backup to things just because it can all go away. I mean- Yeah, right. If it's on a platform, you don't control it. You don't. And like all my work now is Instagram. I mean, I don't have a portfolio anymore. It's all there, but I don't control it. So that's, I think having a physical backup is a great idea. What I would say is do your homework outside of Instagram. You need to look at all the greats and know about artists in every field from the 20th century onward and prior to that even. But the bigger encyclopedia you have of knowledge, the more reference you have, the more sophisticated your eye is going to get, the more refined your aesthetic's going to become. Like you ought to know about all the great makeup artists. You ought to know about fashion, photography, painters, sculptors. Like you should have that knowledge. And so many people today that I talk to younger people, they have no idea who people are unless it's on Instagram. <laughs> and some of the, the greatest artists you look at there, like Dick Page has like, 400 followers or something. I mean, sometimes I've got photographers that I know, like, <laughs> are wildly successful, and you're just like, you, what? Yeah, it doesn't translate. Well, nobody, yeah, it's not like the, the one with the hot makeup brand that's in Sephora. Like, they don't know who these people are, and these are the real artists. That you okay, so that's a good question. Would you give us a couple of historic artists you would think are, like, crucial to know? Are you? I mean... <laughs> Your opinion is fine. It doesn't have to be. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's something as simple as Pat McGrath, which nobody really knew who she was before she had a makeup line on Instagram. People ask me all the time, who's that? Who is that? And I'm like, what are you seriously? Like, well, an absolute genius who's been so influential. I mean, Dick Page is another artist I think is incredible. Lucia, Lucia Pironi, admire 
there's so many. I mean, come on. Like, no, I'm just, yeah. From the 70s, like Pablo Manzoni. I don't know if you guys know who that was, but he did all this incredible, like very intricate work of like, he'd paint a feather like on someone's eye and there's no Photoshop involved. It's just. And I probably, yeah, I've probably seen the images. I was going to say, I've probably seen the image and had no idea. Who yeah. Who is. Do yeah. you have any more of those vintage gems? Because I know, I know a fair amount of our followers. How many books we Check really love vintage. And so those vintage references. Well, I mean, makeup artist is like a recent phenomenon, really. I mean, before the 70s, every the models did their own makeup. Right. So anyone you reference is probably going to be from the late 70s, early 80s on. Onward. Obviously, like Wade yeah. Mandy. And it was Glenn Marziali. So many. Yeah, it just started in the 70s, really. And I mean, Kevin was like the successor to Wade. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And so many have gone like that branched off right those two were the root they were they were that's true yeah sorry kevin we we don't like didn't don't love contouring but you'll have to forgive us kevin (laughs) i I mean sometimes i see some makeup on i'm like wow it's like kevin run him up (laughs) (laughs) no i know i think that too though when it's too much of a contour unless unless i'm at a drag show then i'm like okay but what i have to say is most of the aesthetic we see on instagram is not all drag inspired. Yes, a lot of it is. Playing, yeah. Like drag queens now, basically. Oh, it was so magically. I, yeah, these accounts where women are doing things to their eyes that, like, I yeah. can't hold a pencil that straight for that long. And I consider myself relatively adept. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. And it's incredible because it's such an art form to take a face, a male face, and paint it. Feminize it. Feminize it. Paint. It's brilliant the ability the ability yeah. that, that is there and i think that women young women have, have taken that as a template i think so much oh i think you see it everywhere i i see it as a member of the queer community who's in my oh god i guess i can say late 30s now geez <laughs> my late 30s yeah i see it everywhere like even hearing these these straight women just being like oh yeah I was, i'm baking and i'm like oh my god you're not a like, drag queen and you just yeah, said baking say, you have no idea like where that came like the origin of this i mean it doesn't really matter they don't have to know the origin no of course but nice if we're talking the beginning of the conversation with the insidious nature of things being bad having there be something really good and positive accepted culturally behind it that's nice you know yeah there's always the people always just get it wrong it'll be really extremely over here and then it's like we want to push it this way, but then it goes really extremely over there and that's wrong too. And there's like every once in a while, there's like a sweet spot that it swings past, but it's usually on (laughs) one side or the other. (laughs) Right. Right. Like every so often it's in the doldrums of like logic and then you like common sense, logic and kindness. And then it'll swing. (laughs) That's just where I want to live. That's the, (laughs) that's true. It's true. That's why compassion and empathy are my favorite colors. And I really wish people would just use them more. You know what? That is the way to change things. Is just the only thing you can do is be that. You can't change any other. Amen. Else. Amen. And create things that engender that, which is what we're trying yeah, to do. Exactly. Be a light. I mean, yes, absolutely. So I love Neon Demon. I know Jonathan. It was not your favorite movie, but I have deep. Well, I loved the make. Let me. I loved the makeup. I thought the story was good, but I wasn't like, oh my god, it's like the best thing ever. Right. And I, that's really all it is. It's not that I didn't like it. I thought it was good. No, I just it was know a good story. At all when it comes to that, because it, it was just, so deep in it. It was such a great right. experience making it. 
but of course it's a great memory for me and it was the first it's so stylized though i guess that was my what such a stylized product yeah or project yeah yeah and for something that is not historically based or a real life person it's almost like i don't know a period film of 2017 or whatever the year was that it was made 2016 i think if i remember correctly yeah i mean nick reffin nicholas reffin directed and wrote it he he definitely has very specific ideas about what he wants he's colorblind really oh. so he likes everything to be very punchy and contrasty so he gets mm. texture out of it a lot of mm. primary colors and of course like it was supposed to be like the makeup was supposed to be gaudy and overdone and a little bit desperate <laughs> it wasn't supposed to be like we think you should look like this I mean, people after that film came, oh my God, that makeup was so amazing. And I'm like, well, thank you. But do you understand what we were trying to say with it? Like, we don't know. You should actually put that on. Well, it's like you said, I think earlier in the conversation, scaffolding for a character, right? It's yeah, like, like these girls are really desperate and very invested, obsessed. Like, it's almost a fetish. you know well and and yeah and you're conveying that in the i mean that i can you convey very well with the makeup of the film where it's it translates the i i see the desperation of it yeah or saw rather Um, that um didn't happen in the film but i thought that was really great was uh, abby lee who was in it was putting makeup on you see her in profile like doing her makeup and then the camera pans around and there's no mirror she's just doing it in front of a blank wall <laughs> oh that's good that's like Ooh, yeah. I, yeah, I like that i like the idea of that shot like that yeah. i know i know i'll never look at an empty swimming pool the same way again oh my god <laughs> I, mean, I mean it's crazy because i don't like i can't handle like psychological gore and that's like really disturbing type of thing that's not my wheelhouse at all um you did a great job though i'm you are i mean i thought it visually stunning like i thought viewer, as far as a viewer like i read the script and i literally was like felt a little ill i was like wait <laughs> oh my gosh they actually okay they actually, did that they're, they're gonna eat her they went, they went they went there they went there he's going all the way there but it was great like <laughs> would you prefer working with a director like that who's so decisive or do you um, enjoy it more when you have more leeway i'm not saying anything negative about anyone you know, just- like i had both with him like he he does have ideas of what he likes but he's also like as soon as we're on the same page and he knows that he's like do whatever you want like just go right like once you're on that page you're free to color in the page however you want exactly like that first thing that you see the first opening shot with all the like silly dots on her face and like his one director was like ren and stimpy like i want it to look like that (laughs) oh my god i yeah. I love I love the movie even more now. I will yeah, say that. Right I, used to love Ren- I used to love Ren and Stimpy as a kid. Yeah. Because I wasn't allowed to watch it. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You can see that though. It makes sense. If you can be have a trusting enough relationship, you can be allowed to do your job and not have yeah. someone hovering over you. Yeah. You he's, can- he's a really interesting guy to work with. I mean, there's always music on set. I think we heard Bella Lugosi's dead like 8,000 times because he had that just like on repeat while we're shooting. <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny in and of itself. That's great. Like yeah, just I'm the like, image. I like that. the song because, oh my gosh, I'd be ready to slip my wrists. If you didn't, oh no. <laughs> like a song you hated. <laughs> I think what you described though is, is really like that ideal sweet spot for a lot of creative professionals where you're given the support to do your job well yeah. in the way you want to do it. 
Exactly. Yeah, I loved working with him. I worked with him again. I worked with him on Too Old to Die Young. Which I don't know that many people actually saw that. It was with Miles Teller was the lead. And uh, I, I didn't, yeah. it was like an original piece. And yeah, that was, I did like half the season of that and then ended up actually having to wander off and do Maleficent with Elle. But <laughs> this looks awesome. Um, but yeah. again, a lot of disturbing stuff in it. <laughs> I like the Cronenbergs. So. <laughs> I'm like, I just want to watch Singing in the Rain, okay? <laughs> okay, okay. Maleficent, then. That's one that is neither historical and it's not. I mean, it's. And that's a big machine. I mean, Disney is like a big machine. A machine, yeah. yeah. I mean, what's a production like that? It was, again, I mean, of course it was big. I think at one point they had five units going. So it, there's a lot of moving parts. I definitely was not running the department. I was just Elle's personal. And as hard as we did work, it was basically easy makeup. It's like, make her look like a Disney princess. Like she kind of does all kind of does already. Right. <laughs> Two thirds of the way there already. Yeah. It wasn't a big stretch. <sighs> make her look as beautiful as possible and angelic and pretty and all that. Make her look like she grew up in the woods and never had anything impure. <laughs> <laughs> no toxins no meat byproducts or <laughs> like everything she's she's a, is completely yeah. wholesome <sighs> she, she's a breathitarian she lives on oh, breath God. and the sun isn't that crazy i worked with an actor a young actor years ago who i won't name but so that that was what he was and he would like not eat all day but then there he just raid the trailer for like twix bars that we had in there and it'd be like twix wrappers everywhere <laughs> Like, okay. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> for, any, for any young people listening, that is a form God of plan. disordered eating and may not be good for you. Please do not emulate that behavior. We do oh, not perfect. endorse it. And we hope you get help <laughs> to this unnamed actor. I am praying for you now. Oh, because, like, <laughs> I just don't eat. Huh? I'm a starvarian. I just don't eat. A starvarian. <laughs> God. No. No, I heard that was a thing and I couldn't believe it. And then I Googled it and then I was shocked. And I said, oh my God, people do that. But it's amazing well, what people will do. For a minute. Because you, I mean, obviously you can't do that or you would die. <laughs> for a minute. Well, Brett, Brett, I live on air and Twix. Air and Twix bars. Pretty much. <sighs> like malnourishment. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I mean, it's... A, it's it's interesting. I think one of the overlaps between film and television and fashion modeling is there's this really heavy emphasis on a very prescriptive idea of what beauty means. And I think it's so interesting to play with that, stretch that, see where that can go. Beautiful means a lot of things very personally to a lot of different people. And it's got to be gratifying to get to work with people, make them feel like their best That's or part of it is when someone looks in the mirror when I'm done and says, yes, I like, I feel great. I love this. Oh my gosh. I love it. Like that's the best feeling. Make someone feel confident to do what they have to do, which can be, and they can do their work better. Do their work better. Yeah, exactly. It's got to be love. So we have to ask about book recommendations. We always ask about book recommendations. Oh gosh. Jonathan and I only own thousands and thousands of books. <laughs> And I feel really good asking this question because yeah, you're surrounded by them. Which I am. Mm-hmm. There's like other bookshelves like this in our place. Oh, I love this one. This is really fun. This is about Rose Burton. You've read it. Yes. It's yes, yes, yes. Exactly. About Marie. Rose Burton. Oh. Yes, that one is really fun. 
my everyone's favorite modiste milliner milliner before milliner. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. the idea what of uh couturier we have the thing exactly it's yeah. the milliner to designer pipeline is also very fascinating in general line sometimes <laughs> that's not a bad thing it's lovely of course i have like my all-time favorites which are pretty i think generic <laughs> like tale of two cities <laughs> what else do i do you have any favorites that have influenced your your professional ethos in terms of like I mean, your growth as, as far a as like growth or history but of course like visual all that stuff you have one visual reference that you often come back to for inspiration i mean anything with jurgen teller or craig mcdean or those the 90s basically like the great photographers of the 90s 90s greats yeah the 90s greats i'm sure i have a skewed vision of it because that was my coming of age decade but i really just feel like there was such a genius in that decade that's kind of a magical time there was the budget for a lot of things that the budget no longer right. exists for and practical effects yeah. were still a thing in a way that exactly. they're just not anymore i mean there's i love when people make stuff. like a refined minimalism in that decade like that whole era of harper's <sighs> bazaar when liz tilbaris was at the helm and the it just got so specific and so refined and so beautiful and of course mm-hmm. the whole it was clean it was it, it was deliberate on all the, fronts it was very here. intentional and pared down to its essential element like it was the least amount for the biggest possible impact and that's what i always try to do and i'm sure i've been influenced by that of course steven mizel's run at vogue italia i mean like you save it all, like every cover, I think, from that decade. Every single one. Yeah. That's maybe more decadent than <laughs> the middle. <laughs> but I mean, it was like you knew that when you picked that magazine up, you were going to gasp when you got in there. I mean, every, yeah. you just, oh, like it's so beautiful. And it's been, I can't remember the last time, I mean, I don't even pick up magazines anymore, really. But yeah. I can't remember the last time I opened a magazine up and just gasped from the sheer beauty of what I was seeing. It's not like that anymore. Yeah, there's a, a spread. I can't remember the year, but it's Hillary Swank. And she was wearing a ball gown. I don't want to say it was McLean, but I could be wrong. It was 10 years, 18th century style, double page spread in Vogue. Yeah. I can picture it, charcoal gray, like, <laughs> I can see it in my head. But it's the same thing. It was so much. I mean, it was formative. I used to sit and watch fashion TV. Oh, yeah. Drop from the quad over oh, and over and over again. It's one of my favorite covers. <laughs> <laughs> FTV. Oh, FTV. And it's rotating model. <laughs> oh my god, that logo! That nineteen eighty three movie called Portfolio. Oh, Portfolio. Look this up. This okay. I'm not familiar with this one. It's basically like the protagonist is. They're all elite models in the early eighties. Paulina, Carrie Nygren, Carol Alt, like all those girls. There's a scene, and it's but it's real life. Like they're following this girl through her journey of getting signed to the agency and then becoming what she becomes. So it's like really. Is it a documentary or is it? Well, no, it's like fictional. Okay. It's, it might okay. as well be a documentary because it's got all the okay. models of the day. There's a Stephen Mizell shoot in it. Antonio is in it. All these like cool people, like all the zeitgeisty cool people of 1993 yeah. are in it. And it's, I mean, it's tragically bad. <laughs> it's like really bad. <laughs> But it's so much fun to watch. 
No, it sounds. Oh, see, that's right up. That's right up my alley. Super fun, maybe terrible. Like whole film is on YouTube. You'll have to go on YouTube. Portfolio movie, nineteen eighty three. I will absolutely be Googling that yeah, you, in about yeah. an hour and a half. <laughs> I, I'm very comfortable in that because I've just discovered this. I was just let in on a visually stunning movie that was actually never fully funded. And it was the basis for Aladdin in many ways. Oh. And it was called The Thief and the Cobbler. Oh, I haven't heard of that. So it was this one gentleman worked on it for like 30 something years. And you can see his like evolution through the styles of animation in those decades but it was never fully funded, so not all of it is done. So then over the past few years, fans and former animators and other people have like found I... bits of like earlier sketches in the animation process. So they've like bridged the scenes that aren't done. So there is like the full oh, movie, cool. but it's like not quite done. Right. And it was because everyone was like, this is one of the most visually stunning hand illustrated things we've ever seen. And it's this guy's life work. They tell me what Content. it's called again. That some... It's called The Thief and the Cobbler. And for oh, anyone listening... That. It's on YouTube, and you'll know it's the correct one because it has MK4 in the title. Content warning, there is a very anti-Semitically coded character in it who is the thief. It's just a warning. This earlier. There are bad guys in films. Exactly, yeah. No, there are bad guys in films, and he's stealing the three golden orbs, trying to like control the kingdom with these three orbs that are on this high minaret, but astoundingly illustrated. I have... Oh, not yeah. seen something so visually stunning in a very long time. And where is like an idea of all these able to watch it? Is it streaming on any of the You have to YouTube it because it was like fan put together by this like small cluster of people that are very into animation who really just were like, this guy's life work needs to be seen in some form because it's just so wow, cool. And it was so yeah, I just learned about it. I'm super and freshly obsessed about it. And thanks to ADHD <laughs> have been hyper fixating cool, on it. it. So, it. so great. <laughs> seems like something you would like. Can, leave out as far as my whole aesthetic goes the effect that Azadine Alaya had on me you told me about this black dress will you tell us yeah, just I mean that was like the first time I actually saw a dress I think I was 15 years old where I was just captivated and thought who made that what is that that's like that's how I want to look really dumpy black bandage dress with the ties all up the side that I think Frederick Vanderwall was wearing I saw that photograph and it was like my brain switched on, like that was it. And I was pretty much obsessed and eventually ended up managing the store on Rodeo Drive. There used to be a boutique in the early 90s. Then I ended up doing some of the buying trips and meeting him. And it was just like, it's just been a huge part of my life is that aesthetic. And it happened when minimal I was- Minimal glamour. What? It's, it's like minimal, minimal glamour, like- yeah, there was just Nothing it, refinement. It was so refined down to the just the elements that it needed to be. It was like poetry and nothing fit like it. Like you would just put these clothes on and it fit like nothing else. I mean, I hate to sound ridiculous, but honestly, like clothes would arrive in the store that I hadn't seen. I would like well up with tears at how beautiful it was. I worked at Barney's in the early aughts. I completely understand it. Oh my God, forever <laughs> we the Barney's is gone. That was such oh. a strange for me. I worked at the Chicago store, not the one in New York City, but I did merchandising in their co-op department. And we get bored and go play in the Vera Wang salon. And the idea that that's just gone is like... I am a child of Native Sachs, Boutique in Sacks. Oh, the yeah. Boutique in Sacks, yeah. yeah. As a child of a New Yorker, I did much of my back-to-school shopping. At Bar- <laughs> oh my gosh, it was so great. There's no store like it either. No, it was lovely. It was wonderful. And Simon Doonan is... I mean, yeah, I don't remember me, but 
what a man, what a person. I remember he came to set when I was doing this very short-lived show called The Cashmere Mafia. Okay. (laughs) It was like about like four Upper East Side, The Cashmere Mafia. And it was Lucy Liu and Miranda Otto, clothes. And Simon like came to set and did a little interview with Lucy for his like book about women that he admired or something. And he was just so cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a lovely person, visionary. I mean, people don't think about merchandising and what that means and what it takes and what it requires. And I went to the Art Institute in Chicago and yeah. Chicago is such a merchandising city. I mean, kind of like, oh, yeah. I mean, Macy's bought it now, but Marshall Fields, I mean, it's such a, yeah. I mean, the Mart. Mm-hmm. It's such a thing, such a thing. And I know. Now you made me think of one of my favorite stores, which is in Chicago, Ikram. Oh, textiles. Ikram. There's some great textiles. Yep. There are. I mean, Ikram Goldman is. And all those I love West places. There's this place called Stanley Korshak in Dallas. It's like that. <laughs> it has all the great designers. <gasps> oh, it was so much uh, fun, though, working in that store. I tell you what, it was like just a different world. It was, just, it was like a small community in a weird way. The street, Giorgio used to be there. Mm. Chanel was on the corner. There's an actress that I can't name that was like notorious shoplifter. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. We'd go around and take things and then like her assistant would come back later and pay for it. I mean, at least there's that part. That part I seems... know, she just wanted to feel like she was stealing it, I guess. That was her thrill. But like the girls at Chanel would be like, heads up, that it is out today. Oh no. Oh no. no. She would be like, we just had a dead at a sighting. Oh no. Gossip train when I was at Barney's, makeup girls would call up to their friends on the floor to the floor. We knew, we knew anyone who was in the building. Oh, right. It was a name. Yeah. And it was, um, I mean, it's oh, an interesting stuff. world to work in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why we're here to expose young people to it in all of its glory and all of its shadow and light. Yeah. So before we, we sign off here, you were going to give a piece of advice to a young person who wanted to steal your career when they got older. <laughs> I mean, first of all, do makeup. That's how you learn is doing it. So, I mean, I did it repeatedly on my own face when I was young, just to try different things. So, right? (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, even if you're not very good at it. (laughs) You love something, you do it. You don't have to tell a paint. I mean, they're just going to do it. But like, do it a lot. Do it on your friends. Do it on your older relatives. Do it on the biggest variety of faces that you can wrangle to sit in your chair different ethnicities like you just practice 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 it do some do your research know your references know about the legends that have gone before and and not just makeup photography fashion art like the whole entire world of aesthetics know about it and don't just rely on instagram to tell you what's good because often it's wrong (laughs) also adopt an attitude i think of Clothing, this is going to sound crazy, clothe the person you're working on with your love. Like when I'm working on somebody, I want my hands or touching them. It's a powerful thing to have your hands on somebody. I want my touch to convey love and approval and affirmation. And I think that so much of finding long-term relationships with people is about that connection. Because there are a lot of makeup artists out there that are better than me. But they might not mesh with my clients the way I did because because I put that person before my work. 
There's that energetic alignment. Yeah. Basically, my job is to be there to support that person in every way. I don't just stop with the makeup. I, I want to protect them if I can, encourage them where I need to, let them vent if they need to. Like I'm there to just support whatever that person is doing. And I think it's really important to be willing to do that. And that's how you build relationship with people that lasts. And of course, be extremely discreet. You can never open your mouth and talk about your client. And I think so many people, everyone wants a bit of gossip when it's such a temptation to spill what you know, so people pay attention to you. But you mustn't. You have to be a vault. And you have to be willing to work really hard at humbling, humbling tasks. People feel entitled to be famous immediately and make a lot of money immediately. And everybody wants instant gratification. And that's just not how the world works. There's also a lot of joy, I think, in these humbling tasks. This is something Jonathan and I have in common. If you can find repetitive tasks, things that require labor. Yeah. I swear it makes us better people to do them in, especially in service of others. There's virtue in hard work. It's good for people. It's good for your character. It's good for everything and for the people you're serving by doing it. Just be willing to listen. He who exalts himself will be humbled and vice versa. If you want to be great, humble yourself. That doesn't mean allow people to treat you poorly, but just don't demand that you are X, Y, Z before you're really in a position to have earned demanding anything. And I think a lot of people do that these days. Yeah, keep, keep it about the work until the work speaks for itself enough that you don't have to bother saying it because other people are saying it. Exactly. Right. Don't blow your own horn, which I think is very counterculture these days because it's all about... Well, and it's, it's hard in this world that we live in, this odd world. But I mean, I always want my work to speak for me. I always want the work to be the star. I have no desire to be on stage. Yeah. And I think I, mean, I, I understand. I do a podcast with you. I'm like, oh God, <laughs> my camera. I don't want to look. <laughs> yeah, this is all very new for me too. I'm typically like not a very outgoing personality and I'm an extrovert. However, being in front of a camera for me, very not my Yeah, oh, not me. At either. all. But then I thought, well, that's just another at form all. of pride and vanity. So good over yourself. <laughs> well, we are very, very grateful. Thank you so much, Erin, for joining us today. This has been another episode of Little Red Village by Little Red Fashion. I, of course, am Jonathan Joseph, joined by Rachel Elspeth Gross. And do not forget to check out all the resources about our guests and everything we talked about today on the blog. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, fashion is for everyone. It is. And so is makeup. What a fantastic episode, everyone. Erin, it was such a joy to talk to, and she gave us the names of three particular makeup artists that I think you might find particularly interesting, and so they are today's footnotes. First up, we have Dame Pat McGrath. With no formal training in fashion or makeup, Dame Pat McGrath began her career in the 80s working with Alexander McQueen and John Galliano, and by the 90s creating makeup lines with Giorgio Armani. Known for her love of bold hues and non-traditional techniques and materials, she won tons of awards and honors in the wake of her massive commercial success, building her billion-dollar brand. Next up, we have Pablo Manzoni. Pablo was a global voice in makeup throughout his work with Elizabeth Arden, which began at just 17 when he lobbied their Rome salon to hire him despite his lack of experience and ended up with him as their creative director. Through his career, he pioneered the use of things like eyebrow bleaching on clients like Sophie Loren, which set global trends. His detailed applications, in fact, went what we might essentially call viral because they were seen 
everywhere. Did I mention he was also a count? And last, we have Way Bandy. That's W-A-Y-B-A-N-D-Y. Originally born Ronald Dwayne Wright, he made his mark as a makeup artist on stage and print, working with a who's who of epic fashion photographers for publications like Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Harper's Bazaar, and even Rolling Stone. At his peak, he was one of the top makeup artists on Earth. He even had a best-selling book, too, actually, Designing Your Face, an Illustrated Guide to Using Cosmetics, and Styling Your Face, an Illustrated Guide to 15 Cosmetic Face Designs for Women and men. That's all for today's footnotes. Make sure to check out the blog at littleredfashion.com for the ancillary materials that accompany every episode of Little Red Village. And remember, fashion is for everyone. <laughs>